0: You are listening to the First Baptist Church Martin Podcast. For more information on our church, visit fbcmartin.org. Psalm 131. If you have your Bible, would you turn there? Psalm 131. We are spending our summer in the Psalms and uh, today we're going to be in the 131st psalm there's only three verses to this psalm it's a really short psalm so you would think that means a really short sermon amen all the people in the nursery this morning are saying amen but i'm not quite sure about that there's a lot in these three verses that we're going to look at together today and uh and i'm excited about that just a couple of things about this psalm before we jump in first of all it's a song of ascent several of the psalms that we've looked at over the summer have been songs of ascent, which means that the people of God would sing these songs as they were ascending, as they were going toward Jerusalem. You always go up toward Jerusalem in the Bible. And so as they were going up to Jerusalem, as they were making their way to the place of worship, they would sing these songs, preparing their hearts for the worship of God. This is one of those songs that they would sing. We also know from the introduction to the song, is that it was a song of David, a psalm that was written by David. Now, not all of the psalms were written by David. Sometimes when you think about the book of Psalms, you think immediately about David because so many of them are attributed to him or ascribed to him. Uh, that's not the case with all of them, but certainly it is true of this one. We are told that this is a song of David. Now, we're not told when David wrote this song but I tend to believe that it was later in life. I'm not saying that he was necessarily near the end of his life, but he is an older man when he writes this psalm. Because when you read the psalm and you understand the message of the psalm, it becomes clear that this is not a song of youthfulness. This is not a song written by someone who has just been walking with the Lord For a few months or even a couple of years, here's someone who has been walking with God over time. For many years now, David has been walking with the Lord. And as David has walked with the Lord, God has grown him in his faith. David has a much deeper faith than when he first began. We meet him in Scripture as just a young shepherd boy, uh, tending his father's sheep and uh the bible describes him in that season of his life even in his youthfulness he was a man after god's own heart so even when he was young he had a heart for god a love for god but he still had a lot of growing to do there's some people in this room you're in that same boat right now you you have a love for god you're you're in the early stages of your life you're in the youthfulness of life You love the Lord, that's wonderful, but there is so much that God wants to teach you, so much more that you need to learn about the Lord and about your relationship with the Lord in order to really grow in your faith. David was in that same boat. And over the years, as David walked with God, God would grow him, God would mature his faith. Now here he is, a seasoned saint. He's been walking with God for a while and he pens this very short psalm that has this huge message in it to all of us about what a growing faith looks like. So let's read it together, and then we're gonna talk about it for a few moments. Psalm 131, would you stand with me in honor of our Lord and the reading of his word to us today? David says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. For surely i have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother like a weaned child is my soul within me O oh israel hope in the lord from this time forth and forever lord may you bless your word today and i pray teach us from it i i pray that in this room there are hearts that are open and ready to receive your truth that you would find good and fertile ground This morning in this place upon which the seed of your word may rest and may it take root and bear fruit in our life, not just for our good, but for your glory. We pray that you would show us what a growing faith looks like this morning, Lord, and then help us to have a growing faith as David had a growing faith that our walk with you may deepen and we may uh, discover the true things, the rich things of our God. To the praise of his glory for we ask it in jesus name amen you may be seated so the three verses in this song and i want to give you three points this morning uh, one for each verse in this psalm and the the first is this i want you to think about and look at with me this morning the confession of a growing faith that's what verse one is it's a confession a confession made by a man who is sharing with us what God has taught him and what he has learned as he has walked with the Lord? David has learned some valuable lessons in life things that God has taught him uh, Much of what he's learned. He has learned the hard way not from his success in life But from his failures in life not from being on the mountaintop in life, but from living much of his years in the valley, going through hardships and difficulties, there are things that God has taught him. And what God has taught him in verse 1 can be summed up in one word, and that word is humility. God has humbled David. God has taught David humility. Now don't underestimate how huge that statement is, that David is a man who has learned humility because this is a very difficult and hard lesson for most of us to learn in life how to live and walk in humility before the lord that's why charles spurgeon said of this particular psalm psalm 131 that even though it is is a a short psalm to read it is one of the longest and hardest to learn it's difficult for us to learn humility because of our issue With pride if you don't think pride is an issue in your life if you don't think that you struggle to live with humility in your life then you have just proved my point of how difficult it is to live in humility you're kind of like that person who was approached by a man one day and he was asked the question who is the most humble person you know the man thought for a moment and he responded I would guess that would have to be me you know That's the way some of us think. Some of us don't realize just what an issue pride is for us. Sometimes we think ourselves to be very humble, when in fact we are not. Pride is a subtle thing. It's also a very dangerous thing. Sometimes it's not easy to define exactly what sinful pride looks like. I would define it this way. It is the exalting of self above God and above others pride is the desire to worship self, the elevating of self, even above God Himself. Sinful pride can be demonstrated and expressed in various attitudes, such as self-sufficiency, self-importance, self-satisfaction, self-righteousness, self-exaltation. The Bible tells us that it is pride that led to Satan's fall from heaven And it is pride that led to man's fall into sin. It's not just pride that has separated man from God, it is pride that keeps man separated from God. Psalm 10 verse 4 says this, The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. What that means is that pride is what keeps us from acknowledging and repenting of our sin. Pride is what keeps us from acknowledging our need for a savior. Pride is what keeps us from turning to God and throwing ourselves at the mercy of God. If you're lost this morning, if you are separated from God this morning, there may be many things that you might say have attributed to where you are in your life, but the main thing is pride. Pride is what keeps man from coming to God. And if you are saved this morning, you need to understand that you are saved only because God, by His mercy and grace, at some point in your life brought you to a point where you were stripped of your pride and you realize what a wretched, hell-bound, hell-deserving sinner you are in need of His mercy and grace. And it brought you to faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. But even though we had to humble ourselves in order to receive God's grace and God's salvation It doesn't mean that our struggle with pride ends at the moment of our conversion You may be saved this morning and you may be listening to me and you may be thinking to yourself. Well, I've 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 I've, I know I need Jesus as my Savior and I've trusted him as my Savior And so pride therefore is no longer an issue in my life, but that's that's not the case Truth is, we all will struggle with our pride as long as we live this side of heaven. It's an ongoing battle that we fight within ourselves, the struggle to walk in true humility before the Lord. That's why Jonathan Edwards, the the great theologian of long ago, preacher in the 1700s, once said these words. He said, pride remains the main door by which the devil comes into the heart of those who are zealous for the advancement of christ pride is the main handle by which he the devil has hold of christian persons and the chief source of all mischief he introduces to clog and hinder a work of god and until this disease is cured medicines are applied in vain to heal all other diseases what he's saying is this is pride is your biggest issue it's my biggest issue when you think of all of the areas in your life where you struggle with obedience to God, if you think about all the the sin in your life that you wrestle with and that you deal with daily, if you think about why it is that you are so vulnerable and susceptible to temptation in this life, it all stems back to your sinful pride. If you're not growing in your relationship with God this morning, It is because pride in some way is playing a part. It is a factor in hindering your spiritual growth and development. That's why this is such a large statement that that David makes here in verse 1, confessing to God that God has brought him now to a place where he understands what it means to live and to walk in true humility. Now understand, this is not false humility that David is projecting here. And David is not exalting himself. He is not putting himself out in front of us so that we can admire him and worship him, but rather he is humbling himself before God. Notice his words are directed to the Lord. And he says, Lord, this is what you've taught me. This is the place that you've brought me to in my life. You have humbled me. Through all of my experiences, as I walk with you, the thing that I find you're teaching me over and over again is to lose my pride so that I might walk and live before you in true humility. And then in verse 1, David shows us these different areas in his life where he has learned to be humble. First of all, he talks about how he has learned to be humble in his appreciation of God's grace in his life. Notice the begin, beginning of the psalm. He says, Lord, my heart is not haughty. My heart is not lifted up. When David says that, what I believe David is confessing here, what I believe he's saying here is that even after all of these years, after all this time he has spent walking with God in his life, David understands still Just what a great sinner he is. And how he lives daily in desperate need of the mercy and the grace of God. This is a confession of a man who's not full of himself. And as he looks at where he is in life and how he got there, Not for a moment does he think that he's arrived at this destination because of who he is, or because of what he's done. As David surveys his life, all he can see is the mercy and the grace of God. And he's overwhelmed. He's overcome. Because David knows what a great sinner he is. What a great sinner he was. David knew very well the weaknesses and the sinfulness of David. And even though the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart, the Bible is brutally honest about David's shortcomings and his failures and his sinfulness. The Bible talks about some great mistakes and great sin that David committed before God that that, that brought David to the lowest season and the lowest point in his life that you could possibly imagine. He lived through that. He went through all of that. And David has recognized now that he has always been a sinner in need of the mercy and grace of God. Not just in that moment when he entered into relationship with God, but his whole life he has been nothing but a sinner in need of the mercy and the grace of God. And that God would bless him and that God would do the things in David's life that God did. It was all because of mercy. And it was all because of grace. See, one of the signs of a maturing faith is that you, you never get past, you never get over the mercy and the grace of God in your life. Instead, what you find is yourself growing deeper in the mercy and the grace of God. A person who's growing in their faith does not become full of themselves, but rather they become overwhelmed and filled with awe and wonder at just how merciful and gracious God has been in their life. There's all kind of places in the Bible that I could take you to demonstrate this, but the one that comes to mind for me is the Apostle Paul. If you remember Paul's story, you, you, you know what he once was before he, before he was gloriously saved on the Damascus Road. He hated the church. He hated Christians. He was out to persecute Christians. He was going to throw more of them in jail and even have some of them killed if need be. He hated Christ. He didn't want anything to do with Christ. He's on the Damascus Road, and then for whatever reason, Christ appears to him on the Damascus Road, and it changes Paul's life forever. In fact, at that moment, he was a man named Saul. God so incredibly changed his life by his grace that eventually he becomes known by a new name so for the rest of Scripture, we know him as, as Paul, the apostle. When Paul writes Timothy in 1 Timothy, Paul has been walking with Christ for a long time. And Paul has, has, has seen God do some incredible things through his life and through his ministry. There's no telling how many people now who've come to faith in Christ as a result of Paul's preaching of the gospel. There's no telling how many churches Paul has planted or had influence in planting across the first century world. He has seen God work, and he's seen God do incredible things, but never for a second was Paul full of himself. Instead, Paul was overwhelmed even more later in his life at what God had done by his grace than he was in the beginning of his walk with Christ. That's why he writes to Timothy, and he says this. He says, I thank Christ, Jesus our Lord, who's enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, even though I was once a blasphemer. A persecutor, an insolent man, but I attained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant toward me with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. And this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. In other words, Paul is saying, I want you to sit up and listen to what I'm about to share with you. He says, This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief i'm the worst of them however for this reason i obtained mercy that in me first jesus christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe in him for everlasting life in other words paul says i don't know why god would save somebody like me i know who i was i know what i did i don't know why god would save me the only thing i can figure out is that god saved my life he saved my soul to demonstrate his power and his glory and his grace in me Paul was not full of himself, he was full of grace. Here's a man who's walked with the Lord for a long time now, and he's just grown deeper in the grace of God. That's how you know you're growing in your faith, is that you don't get over the cross, you don't get past the cross. Instead, the cross becomes something that's more precious to you. The grace of God is something that becomes deeper and richer in your life. And you realize the more you walk with God, just how hell-deserving you are, and you're overwhelmed that that he didn't give that to you, but instead he gave you life. And forgiveness and a hope of salvation. Praise God. He says, Lord, my heart is not haughty. I'm not full of myself. I'm full of grace. Then he says this, and he goes right along with it. He says, My heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. I believe the first part of verse one, he's talking about how he saw himself in the eyes of God. And then the second part when he says my eyes are not lofty, he's talking about how he viewed himself In relationship to others David says I don't look down on anybody I've learned not to look down on anybody in this life And I want you to understand Who's talking here? This is David the king. This is not David the shepherd boy who's out in the field and still watching over his father's sheep. This is the man who has been promoted. He's been elevated. Now he's the king of Israel. He's got position. He's got power. He's got possessions. He's got influence. He's got all this stuff. God has elevated him. By his mercy and grace, God has put David in this position. But David says, I I don't look down my nose at anybody. My eyes are not lofty. Because David understood that he didn't get to where he was because of anything that he had done. Or because he'd earned it or he deserved it or anything like that. For the life of him, he can't figure out why he is where he is in life. But he knows that the only reason he's there, the only way he could get there, was by the mercy and the grace of God. That being where he was didn't mean he was better than anybody else. In fact, when David looked at himself, he thought himself to be just as bad as everyone else. He was a sinner, just like everyone else. And why God had done this in his life, he had no idea. But here's what mercy and grace had done for David. Mercy and grace had caused David to look at others with mercy and with grace. Instead of exalting himself over others, David saw himself as being... Just one of the crowd just someone who by the mercy and grace of God had been rescued out of his sin And so he lived a life of humility toward his fellow man See, That's how you're that's how you know you're growing in your faith as you don't strut around and, and look at yourself as a person of privilege or, 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 or glory in your power or your position or, your, or, or the stuff that you have in this world or the blessings that you've been given. Instead, you are just overwhelmed and humbled by the mercy and grace of God in every area of your life. And you take the blessings and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the good things that God has given you in your life, and you don't use those things to serve yourself. Instead, you use those things as an opportunity to bless others and to serve others around you because you understand that's why God put these things in your possession. David is there. He says, my heart's not haughty, my eyes are not lofty. And then the third thing he says is this. He says, neither do I concern myself with great matters. I have spent some time this week trying to figure out what exactly David is talking about here. And there's all kinds of commentary and commentators that try to explain exactly what David is talking about. And many of them conclude that what David is referring to here is the way he sees the endeavors of his life, the, the work that he's been called to. And when he says, neither do I concern myself with great matters, what David is saying is that I realize in my humility that there are some things that God just has not called me to do. Now I want you to think about that. What's something that stands out? As you think about David's story, what's something that stands out? David desired with all of his heart to build a temple for the Lord. He wanted to. It was in his heart to build God a temple he wanted to be a he wanted to build a permanent place for the ark of the covenant to rest where the people of God could come and worship but God looked at David and said no you're not going to do that you're not the one that I've appointed for that you're not going to build a temple for me instead it will be one who comes behind you one of your descendants it would be Solomon who would build the temple and David in his humility had to accept that he had to accept the fact that that God had something for Solomon that he did not have for him. But what God had called David to do, David realized that he must do. And he must do it faithfully, but he must do it in the strength and the power of the Lord. And so when he says, I do not concern myself with great matters, what he's saying is this. He's saying in humility, we all have to recognize at some point that there are some things that God has not called us to do. We're not all called to do the same thing. There's a lot of debate and discussion going on even in the evangelical church today about different roles and different functions, even among the different genders within the church. And listen, I'll just say this. We're going to get into that topic when we get through 1 Corinthians, but I'll just tell you, there are some things that God has not called some of us to do in the church. But that's okay. Because God has called us all to do something for his kingdom and for his glory. And what God has called us to do, whatever that is, it's important to the advancement of the gospel, to the work of God. But we've got to understand that we can't do anything that God's called us to do. We can't be who God's called us to be. We can't finish the work that Jesus has left for us to do in this world if we are doing it in our strength. We have to understand that we have been called to something that's way above our pay grade. Amen? That the only way that we can do kingdom work is with kingdom power. And God's the one that supplies the power. It's like in John chapter 15 where Jesus looks at his disciples and says, I'm the vine, you're the branch. You abide in me and I in you, you're going to bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. I tell you, sometimes in our pride, in our sinful pride, we in the church forget where the power comes from. And we start believing that it's our ingenuity and it's our methods and it's our creativity and it's our charisma and our personality and our persuasion and the way we present things that causes people to respond. And I'm telling you, that's not true. Not in the kingdom of God that if someone gets saved this morning, it won't be because they heard great preaching. It'd be because they met a great God this morning whose spirit is in this room and moving with power as his word is being proclaimed. There's nothing that happens in the kingdom of God for which we can take credit for. And David says, I realize that now. I realize my limitations. I realize there's some things that I can't do. I realize that the things I've been called to do, I have to rely on you to do them. And I, I, I don't concern myself with anything beyond that. And then he says one more thing when it comes to this confession of humility. He says, nor do I concern myself with things too profound for me. And when he says that, what he's talking about are the the mysteries of life. David is humbled when it comes to understanding the mysteries of God, the mysteries of life that we just can't fully explain. I want you to please understand that David is not suggesting that we don't need to study God's Word or that we just need to leave theological matters alone. That's not what he's saying at all. The Bible says that we're to study to show ourselves approved. We're to be lifelong students of God's Word. But what David is saying is that there are some things, no matter how long you study God's Word, no matter how long you walk with God in this life, there are going to be some things that you're never going to wrap your mind around, some things that you will never, ever, ever understand this side of heaven. That's true with a lot of things. There's a lot of mysteries that we don't understand. The mysteries of grace how God works in our salvation nobody can come to the father unless they're drawn unless the Holy Spirit strips us of pride and draws us to Christ you and I have no hope or possibility of being saved and yet you and I are responsible for responding to the calling and the drawing of the Holy Spirit now how does all of that work together I have no idea I'm just glad to be a part of it amen I'm just glad I heard the spirit call and I responded by faith and put my trust in Jesus Christ and he saved me. I, don't, I can't explain the fullness of the mysteries of God's grace and how God moves and works through the gospel and drawing sinners to himself. I can't explain all of that. There's some parts of it that I can explain. There's some parts of it that I understand, but I, can't, I don't understand it all. This is also especially true when it comes to the, 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 the issues of, of suffering. Bad things happening in the world that we have a hard time wrapping our, our minds around. Earlier in the summer, we looked at Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is a psalm that was written by someone who confesses that I almost, I almost lost it. I mean, I almost, I almost lost all hope. I almost threw in the towel because when I looked around in this world, I saw things that I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of. I, I, saw, I saw wicked people in the world. People who didn't care anything about God getting along just fine and prospering. And then I saw people who were seemingly good people trying to do things the right way. People who love the Lord trying to follow the Lord. And I saw them suffering and he said, I, I couldn't make sense of that. Has anybody ever wrestled with that stuff? i tell you, you don't have all the answers and nor, nor do I. There's some things you just can't explain. A verse that's helped me, somebody introduced me to this verse long ago, and I shared it with a group of people in this room this past week as we gathered together to celebrate the life of a 16-year-old girl who was tragically killed in a car wreck last weekend. When I walked into the room, I knew that this room was full of people who had a lot of questions and they didn't have any answers. People were wondering, why, why, why did this happen? Why to this family? Why did this girl? Why, why, why would God allow something like this? And I shared this verse with him. It comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 29. Verse 29, it says this. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do the words of this law. What that verse says is that there are some things that God has revealed to us, they're for us, we can understand them. That's why we need to study God's Word, because there's so much here that we can't understand, so much that God has made known. But the Bible also says that there are secret things that happen in this world that just belong to the Lord. Things that, that are just, just beyond our comprehension, beyond our understanding. And the whole issue of suffering and why bad things happen in the world, sometimes to people that we would look upon and consider to be good, that's one of the things that we struggle with. You think about the story of Job. You remember Job's story? Job was a man who was upright and blameless. That's not what he said about himself. It's what God said about him. He was upright and blameless. He walked in fear before the Lord. And then yet one day, the the angels came and appeared before the Lord. Satan comes with them. God looks at Satan and says, where have you been? He says, well, you know, I've just been moving about on the earth, going here and there, everywhere, just looking for somebody's life to mess up. And then God says, well, have you considered my servant Job? Is it, does anybody familiar with the story? Has that ever bothered somebody? That the devil didn't bring Job's name up to God, God brought Job's name up to the devil. He said, have you considered my servant Job? He's upright, blameless. He walks in fear before the Lord. Satan says, well, the only reason why Job cares anything about you, the only reason why he loves you and he follows you and he serves you is because you have pampered him his whole life. You've sheltered him. You've babied him. You have not let any adversity come into his life. You have just kept him protected his whole life. But if you would just let the guard down and let me get my hands on him for a little bit, I'll tell you, Job will turn his heart from you and he'll curse you. And God says, okay, well, you're not going to take his life, but you can have everything else. Two different conversations take place in the early chapters of Job, between God and Satan. Long story short, in just a short period of time, Job loses seemingly everything. He lost all of his possessions, his wealth. He had a large family. His children were tragically killed, taken from him. You couldn't even look at Job and say, well, you still got your health because... He he, he became uh, struck with boils all over his body, from his head to his feet, so painful that his wife looked at him in his misery and said, why don't you just curse God and die? Why don't you just throw in the towel? Just give it up. But he wouldn't do that. He had no clue why this had happened in his life. He had some buddies that showed up. They tried to explain why this was happening to him. They're like a lot of us. You know, when somebody's hurting and going through a tough time, you got people that show up in your life and they think they've got the answer as to why this is happening. They don't necessarily show up at your doorstep. They'll just show up on your news feed. All right. They'll show up on your social media and they'll want to post things on your on your wall to try to explain and help you out as to why this is happening in your life. Give you some kind of explanation when they don't have any clue. Job didn't have any clue as to why this was happening in his life. He began to question God about it. He began to question. Why is this happening to me? I don't know why it's happening. He didn't curse God But he did question God and he gets to the end of the book and what happens is that God shows up after a period of silence God shows up and he puts Job in his place. And He basically looks at Job and says who are you to question me? Where were you when the world was established? Where were you when there was nothing and then I spoke and everything came into existence? Where are you where were you when I put all of this into motion and gave it order? Where were you when all that took place? Job finally has to look at God and he says, God, I have uttered things that I don't know. I have spoken out of turn. Who am I to question you? And then here's what Job says. Listen to me. He looks at God and he says, I have heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now I see you. Now my eyes see you. That's the confession right there that David is making. It's a confession of a growing faith. And here's here's what he's saying is this. He says, God, you've, you've grown me in this. I don't know why this is happening, but you have grown me through all of this. And you have grown me not because you gave me the answers I was looking for. You have grown me because you've taught me that I can trust you even when I don't have the answers. Amen? There's sometimes you don't have the answers, all you could do is trust God. And God brings us to those moments and He puts us through those seasons of life so that we learn that even when we don't understand and even when we can't trace His hand, we can always trust His heart, that He is good, He is God, He knows what He's doing, and even though it doesn't look like it now, it's all going to work out for something good in the end. That's a confession of a growing faith. So verse 1 is all about this confession. Now the second verse is this. The second verse, David expresses a contentment and a calmness now that has come over him in the Lord. And We'll give this to you real quick. Look at what he says. He says, Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This is a confession of a man who has grown up in his faith. He says, My soul now. It's like a weaned child. Now, here's what he's talking about. When you wean a child, you have to to move a child from those early stages of infancy and dependence onto other things so that they can grow. And so, when a child comes into the world, what do you give them? You give them milk. That's all you give them. You you give them milk in those early stages of life, but they're not meant to live on the milk forever. Eventually, you got to move them on to other things. So, what do you have to do? Eventually, you have to take the milk away. And you have to start introducing new foods. But when you start introducing new foods, what do you introduce? Well, you don't introduce chocolate cake. Amen? It would be better if you did. Give me a Twinkie. Give me a Ding Dong. Give me chocolate cake. Give me, a, give me a pie. Something. But that's not what you do with kids. Why? Because that's not what they need. What do you give them? You give them vegetables. That's why when you first introduce the vegetables, you stick that nasty green stuff in their mouth and they make that horrible face. They don't like it, but they've got to take it because it's necessary for their growth and development. And so when David talks about being like a weaned child, what he's saying is this. He's saying, God, in my relationship to you, here's what I've learned. Is that there have been times that you have taken things away from me. There have been times when you've introduced things to me that I didn't like and that didn't taste good, but it was all to help me grow up. It was all to help me mature in my faith, I see that now, I understand that now, that life is not always sunshine, blue skies, and 70 degrees. There's adversity, and there's trouble, and there's difficulty, and there's hardship, and there's pain. But all of that is part of growing up in our faith. And here's what he said. He said, over this time, over this period, I have learned to quiet my soul. Now, God's been doing this. But David says, I've learned to quiet my soul. What he means is this. He's, he's saying, listen. God, you've been teaching me my whole life. You've been teaching me lessons, and now I'm learning to accept. How many of you know that some of you, some of us, I'm not just you, us, we keep repeating the same lessons. We keep going through the same stuff because we won't grow up. Amen? I mean, we keep going through the same, God keeps putting us through the same, because we, because we refuse to grow up and mature in our faith. And David says, listen, I was like that discontent, restless, always fighting with God, but then finally you brought me to a place where my soul is quieted. I have quieted my soul. I have learned to put my trust in You. And so now I'm like a weaned child. Now, here's the picture. When a child is really young, early stages of life, the child is very needy. He or she wants the parents, but oftentimes they want the parents because they need something. Need, 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 need. But eventually that child, as it begins to grow, begins to be less restless and fussy and all that kind of stuff, because they learn that they can trust that the parents are there, and the parents know the needs of the child better than the child knows the needs, and the parents are going to take care of that child. And so there's a shift that takes place eventually, where the relationship between a parent and a child stops being about need, and it becomes about intimacy and love. One of the most sweet things, sweetest things that can ever happen, is when a child crawls up in a parent's lap. When a child wants to be close to their mom or dad, not because they need something. But just because they want to be near. And David says, that's where I'm at now. So much of my life, I've just been needy. Every time I've come to you, God, it's because I've got a need. I need this. I need you to do this. I need, you to, I need you to help me out here. But now I'm at a place in my life where I know you're going to take care of me. And so my relationship is less about my needs and just more about enjoying intimacy with you. Let me ask you a question. Are you there in your relationship with God? Here's how you know. When do you pray? When do you pray? A lot of us in the room this, this morning would have to confess that we don't really give prayer much of a thought until there's a need in our life. And then we come running to God and we say, God, I, I got a need here. I need you to help me out here. Would you bail me out here? But the sign of a maturing faith is when you learn to talk to God and you want to talk to God Every day you just want to be in his presence. You just want to spend time with him not because you need something Just because you want to be near him Because you want to enjoy his presence Same thing with his word When do you read God's word when you're looking for a verse to bail you out a verse to help you uh, get through the day Or do you just open his word because I just I just want to I just want to hear his voice I just want him to speak into my life David's at this point where he has learned to be calm and content in the Lord. Which brings us to verse 3, and verse 3 is about a concern. I'm just going to read it, say a word about it, and then we'll close. Verse 3 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Hope in the Lord. So, so now verse 3, David's focus has shift from, shifted from himself. He's not talking about himself. Now he's looking at others. He's looking to his people and he says, O Israel, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. He, he's, he's saying, Oh, oh, you people, I want you to discover in my God what I have found. I want you to discover His grace and His mercy. It changed my life. I know it can change yours. I, I-, I want you to discover this confidence in the Lord, to know that you can trust Him, to know that even when life doesn't make sense, when, when life is bigger than you, when you're confused, when There's all these mysteries staring at you in the face and you got no answers to the question that you have That you can still trust God because he's good and he loves you and he cares about you He's proved that by sending his son to die on a cross for your sin And if God would do that for you, you know you can trust him with everything else in your life I just want you to learn how you can trust God you can put your faith in God how your soul can be at rest I want you to know that Israel would you put your hope in the Lord? Do it now and forever He's concerned about others. And see, this is the sign. This is one of the signs of a growing faith as well. Is that as you grow in your faith, it stops being just all about you. Suddenly, your focus, your heart shifts. You begin to think about people around you and wanting them to know and experience what you have found yourself in the Lord. We talk about our mission statement around here. That we exist as a church to glorify God by helping every generation to believe, connect, grow, and go. It means we want people to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Then you look at the rest of the the mission statement. The other two parts, it seems like there's a lot of emphasis there about spiritual growth and spiritual development. And sometimes there could be a concern that, that like, listen, we need to be very evangelistic. We need to be extremely evangelistic as, as the church. We need to preach the gospel to people, and we need to do that, and we want to do that. And I'll tell you, that's our heart, is to share the gospel with as many people as we can. But if we really want to reach, reach Martin, and we want to reach the world, then it goes beyond with just sharing the gospel with people. It means that the people who have believed the gospel, we need to help them grow in their faith. We need to help them connect with other believers who will encourage them, and help them to grow in their faith so that they would deepen in their walk with god that they would grow stronger in their relationship with god because if that happens the last part of the mission statement about going going back out in the world and making disciples that'll take care of itself if our church is growing spiritually like it should you won't need somebody standing up here begging you to go out in the world and share the gospel you'll just do it you know why because one of the indications and signs of a growing faith is that your heart becomes burdened and concerned for the people around you to know what you know and to experience what you've experienced in a relationship with God. Can I get an amen? What a wonderful psalm. Three verses, but so powerful, so full of truth, and hopefully so challenging and encouraging to people in this room who desire and who need a deeper walk with the Lord. Do you know the Lord Jesus today as your Savior? You can't grow in something that you don't have. And the first step to having a relationship with God is, is losing your pride and realizing what we all have to realize, and that is that we are sinners. hell bound, hell-deserving sinners. That's who we are. That's not self-degradation. That's the absolute truth. This is who we are. But God in His mercy and grace sent His Son to die for us on a cross, and He raised Him up from the dead so that through Him we could be forgiven and we could have everlasting life. Our hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and His righteousness. Have you ever come to that place of believing that? If not, today is your day. Today's the day to turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you have done that, are you growing in your faith? Babies are beautiful, and they're wonderful, but they're meant to grow, and you came into the kingdom of God as a babe in Christ, but God intends for you to grow, and there's so much that God wants to do in your life, and so much of himself that he wants to show you and share with you, would you let God teach you like he taught David how to live in humility, how to find contentment in the Lord? and how to understand that the Lord is all that you need. If you were encouraged by today's sermon, leave us a rating and subscribe to the podcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church Martin, visit fpcmartin.org.